0: Peace be upon you. One of the meditations of a submitter, uh, one that they, you know, as submitters we do all the time every day, is this idea that God is doing everything. And anytime we're in a rut, we're in a tough situation, we face hardship or adversity uh, or anything at that, we constantly remind ourselves that God is doing absolutely everything. But what does that mean to say that God is doing everything? Uh, A simple place to start is with our own birth and then ultimately our death. In 3511 it reads, God is in full control. God created you from dust, then from a tiny drop, then he causes you to reproduce through your spouses. No female becomes pregnant or gives birth without his knowledge. No one survives for a long life and no one's life is snapped short, except in accordance with a pre-existing record. This is easy for God. So God is telling us in this verse that no one uh, survives for a long life and no one's life is snapped short and that everything is basically in accordance with a pre-existing record. So this is telling me that God controls our life and our death. And in 3.145, it reiterates that, and it says, Time of death predetermined. It says, No one dies except by God's leave. At a predetermined time, whoever seeks the vanities of this world, we give him therefrom, and whoever seeks the rewards of the hereafter, we bless him therein. We reward those who are appreciative. So if God is the one who's dictating when we're born and when we die, What else does that constitute? So in order to be able to determine when someone is born, you have to determine the parents that they're going to be born by. Uh, That's going to determine the brothers and sisters that they have, the aunts, the uncles, the extended family, Um, but then also the time period by which they live, right? Is this the 1950s, 1930s, uh, you know, whenever? This all has to be orchestrated perfectly by God. And if God controls all these variables, The fundamental question that pops up is, where does freedom of choice come in? Where does free will come in? And we know that as human beings, according to the Quran, we have freedom of choice. And in 3372, it reads, freedom of choice. We have offered the responsibility, freedom of choice to the heavens and the earth and the mountains, but they refused to bear it and were afraid of it. But the human being accepted it. He was transgressing, ignorant. So human beings, we all have freedom of choice, but what is this choice? Because, you know, we didn't choose per se to come into this time period. We didn't choose our parents. We didn't choose, you know, the conditions by which we were brought to this world. And ultimately, we're not going to choose when we leave this world. These are all decisions already dictated by God. And the answer to this question can be found in the following verse in 3154. And again, it's about the moment of death being predetermined. It says, After the setback, he sent down upon you peaceful slumber that pacified some of you. Others among you were selfishly concerned about themselves. They harbored thoughts about God that were not right, the same thoughts they harbored during the days of ignorance. Thus, they said, Is anything up to us? Say, Everything is up to God. They concealed inside themselves what they did not reveal to you. They said, If it was up to us, none of us would have been killed in the battle. Say, Had you stayed in your homes, those destined to be killed would have crawled into their deathbeds. God thus puts you to the test to bring out your true convictions and to test what is in your hearts. God is fully aware of the innermost thoughts. And there's so much information packed into this verse. The first thing I want to point at is this fundamental question where, you know, they they basically face the situation. And these uh, individuals ask, is anything up to us? And God's response is, everything is up to God. So what's interesting is at that, you know, just from that, that, that statement, it seems like we have no choice. But what's interesting is this thought that they choose to have, that is 100% up to them. They can view these circumstances absolutely however they desire. And this is what the freedom of choice is. Is that when we're faced with a circumstance when we're faced with a situation we have a hundred percent freedom of choice as far as how we view that situation how we think about that situation how we basically spend our time pondering about the situations of the past and then in the future and this thought process is what our freedom of choice consists of and what's awesome about this is that our thoughts they dictate our beliefs and our beliefs dictate our actions Meaning you cannot entertain a thought for long enough without it transpiring into a belief which ultimately will transpire into an action. And this is what we were brought into this world for. Um, When you think of the example of Satan, Satan had a supercilious thought that he could be a god beside God. This simple act of having this thought was enough that when he watered that thought with his uh, attention giving rise to that thought, that God brought that thought out for him and everyone else to witness. And this is exactly what happens to every single one of us in this world. We are going to be presented with a series of circumstances. We're going to be presented with a series of outcomes. And from those outcomes, it's going to be dependent on what our thoughts are towards those outcomes. When we say that God is doing absolutely everything, when we submit 100% to God alone— If that is truly what we believe when these situations are presented to us our actions are going to correspond with those deeds one of the verses that actually is uh, kind of interesting in in regards to this is in the same context of chapter 3 where let me see if I can pull up this verse it is basically um, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to find it, but in regards to the disbelievers, when they went to battle, they turned on their heels. And when they turned on their heels, God says that this is a sign of their disbelief, that this actually exposes some of the sins that they committed. And this is powerful because it's saying that whatever it is that they they thought, whatever it is that they were entertaining... This ultimately ended up determining the outcome of how they responded to a situation. And that simple act of just thinking is enough to spawn off huge outcomes, both to the positive and the negative. And you can think of it this way. You know, if our thoughts are corresponding to radio stations that are out there, and we have the the capability of adjusting that tuner to whatever station we choose to listen to, Right? So, irrespective, if you know anyone comes, be it the the devil or a coworker or you know anyone at that, comes and basically presents you with a thought, right? They they do something in essence to make you think about something, and you realize that this is something that either a thought that you want to entertain or not. That choice is up to you, right? You have full control as far as what stations you choose to listen to, and those stations are our thoughts, right? This is one of the most profound things is that we have absolute control over our thoughts. We have absolute control as far as how we think about a situation. And realizing that comes with a whole lot of responsibility. And at the same time, it really simplifies things. Because when you realize that all that matters is what we choose to think about a situation and which ideas do we choose to really basically pay attention to, then we can be absolutely have confidence that if our thoughts are in the right place, and I'm talking about our innermost thoughts, not just what we you know, casually say in passing and stuff like that, but what our true innermost thoughts are, we can guarantee that the outcome of any situation is always going to be for our absolute benefit. And there's a difference between just having a thought and dwelling on a thought, and God differentiates actually between having doubt and harboring doubt, right? Anyone can have doubt. When, somebody, when God tells you that God is doing everything, you know, you might have a hint of doubt. But that's different than harboring doubt. You know, when we have doubt, the, the remedy to that is that we try to basically eliminate that doubt, right? We, we present it, we talk about it, and we try to get beyond it, you know, to the point that we eliminate that as a doubt in our hearts. But when we harbor doubt, what we're doing in essence is we have this doubt, and as opposed to addressing it, we're constantly adding fuel to it. Right? We're constantly allowing it to grow. And when we do that, inevitably it's going to come back to haunt us. And in 552, it says, You will see those who harbor doubt in their hearts hasten to join them, saying, We fear lest they may be defeated. May God bring victory or a command from him that causes them to regret their secret thoughts. And in 2253 through 55, it reads, The hypocrites drop out. He thus sets up the devil's scheme as a test for those who harbor doubts in their hearts and whose hearts are hardened. The wicked must remain with opposition. Those who are blessed with knowledge will recognize the truth from your Lord, then believe in it, and their hearts will readily accept it. Most assuredly, God guides the believers in the right path. As for those who disbelieve, they will continue to harbor doubts until the hour comes to them suddenly or until the retribution of a terrible day comes to them. And you realize that the difference, the, fun, the only difference between a believer and a disbeliever is a thought. Now think of that. That's the only difference between someone who's a believer and a disbeliever is the thoughts that they choose to entertain. Um, I believe it was Albert Einstein who said, the only, the most important decision that anyone has to make is the worldview that they cho- believe they live in. You know, what's your worldview? Do you believe that this world is chaos? It's random. There is no uh, justice. Anything can go. uh, It's absolutely meaningless. Or do you believe that God is in absolute control? That God is the one who dictates the outcome of every single event? That the ultimate justice belongs to God? That no one is going to basically be able to do a good deed and not be repaid for it? And This fundamental choice of which world do we live in is 100% up to us. And whichever idea we entertain, that's the one that's going to manifest for us in this world. And you can think of your thoughts as another way. As In addition to like a radio station, you can also think of them as seeds, right? We have seeds of thought. And we can choose to water these seeds by paying attention and focusing and harboring whatever thought it is we had. And the outcome of that watering of that seed, of that thought, is the deeds that we basically behave upon. So if we have bad thoughts, then we have bad beliefs and ultimately bad actions. Or if we have good thoughts, we have good beliefs and then ultimately good deeds. And it's 100% up to us which thoughts do we choose to water. And what's awesome about this is God gives us the parable of fruit, right? It says the, the bitter tree. You know, if the seed is basically going to provide bitter fruit, there's nothing you can do for that tree. And ultimately, if the seed is going to provide sweet fruit, you know, all it takes is just a little bit of water. And that's what matters in our life is that we choose to basically water whatever seed, whatever thought we have. And that choice is a hundred percent up to us. And if you think about that, that. What's going to happen in essence is whatever thoughts that we choose to entertain, whatever thoughts we choose to spend our mind uh, occupied with, these are the thoughts that are going to transpire in this world. That God created this entire universe, created this entire world to bring out our innermost thoughts, right? To manifest those, to put us in a situation where we have the control to basically dictate what our decision is going to be in the real world based on what thoughts we were entertaining throughout our lives. In forty seven twenty nine it says, Did those who harbour doubts in their hearts think that God will not bring out their evil thoughts? In three hundred twenty nine say whether you conceal your innermost thought or declare it, God is fully aware thereof. He is fully aware of everything in the heavens and the earth. God is omnipotent. eleven five indeed they hide their innermost thoughts as if to keep him from knowing them. In fact, as they cover themselves with their clothes, he knows all their secrets and declarations. He knows the innermost thoughts. So God already knows what our innermost thoughts are. We might not be aware of it, but God is going to bring it out. And our innermost thoughts are going to be manifested in this world for us to see. Because there's a, co- a concept known as cognizant, cognizant dissonance. And what this is, is the fact that when we have a belief that doesn't correspond with reality, we have a choice at that moment to fix our belief or twist reality. And that's what's going to happen. We're going to come to a uh, crossroads in our life where we're going to have a certain belief. And whatever belief it is that we entertain, whatever belief it is that we trained ourselves to believe, when we come to that crossroad, it's going to determine the decision we make, right? These decisions aren't made at a whim. You know, these are basically orchestrated through years and years of thought. And usually when people think of meditation, they think of, you know, someone sitting cross-legged in a quiet room, you know, uh, (laughs) chanting mantras to themselves. But meditation is literally the act of what we choose to think about, right? Right. Every minute, every hour, every day, we choose what thoughts we, uh, we plan to entertain and bring into our lives. And those thoughts are going to be manifested into reality with the actions that we choose to carry out when these circumstances arise. One of the major tests, and this was actually in the verse that we read earlier, that brings out our true innermost thoughts that every single human being is going to have to go through, who actually, you know, anyone who lives a, uh, a full life is the death of a loved one and this is something that we have to ask ourselves that you know how are we going to react when we lose a loved one because death is an absolute certainty in life meaning that the ones that we love eventually we're going to lose and it's not that we're going to lose them forever we're going to lose them in this world because god is the one who's dictating when they're born and when they're going to be taken from this world and knowing that The question is, how are we going to react when this situation happens? Are we going to have absolute trust in God that when we lose a loved one, that God is the one who determined that individual's lifespan, that there was nothing we could do to change that time period? And you think of this, as a believer, that is a huge blessing. Because how often do you hear of someone who's lost someone and they constantly are basically beating themselves up thinking, oh, if I only told them to do X or if I only told them to do Y, they would be here now and, you know, they would be able to live a longer life. And if we remember from 3154, it says, and when the people were talking about the, the, the ones who died in battle, they said, had they stayed at home, they would have been crawling into their deathbeds. Meaning that God is the one who dictates when someone is taken from this world. And there's nothing we can do to change that circumstance, meaning that if someone is meant to pass, they're going to pass, irrespective if it's in battle or in their beds. And this is just a reality that we have to accept. And the, the question is, when we face that reality, when we face you know the loss of a loved one, how do we react to that situation? And In 3.156, it says, O you who believe, do not be like those who disbelieved instead of their kinsmen who traveled or mobilized for war. Had they stayed with us, they would not have died or gotten killed. God renders this a source of grief in their hearts. God controls life and death. God is seer of everything you do. Now, it's not to say that we won't miss someone when they die. The fundamental difference is to believe that we could have changed the situation, that we could have extended that individual's life uh, on this planet. And that's the question, you know, when someone passes, are we to the understanding that, hey, this is the time that they were meant to pass. There's nothing we or anyone else could have done to extend that life. And irrespective if they were of the, you know, the best health or not, this was the time that they were meant to go. And in 3.169-171, we read what the, 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 uh, the righteous response is. It says, The righteous do not really die. Do not think that those who are killed in the cause of do- God are dead. They are alive at their Lord, enjoying His provisions. They are rejoicing in God's grace, and they have good news for their comrades who did not die with them, that they have nothing to fear, nor will they grieve. They have good news of God's blessings and grace, and that God never fails to reward the believers. So this is incredibly powerful. It's to know that if we had someone that we love that died, that you know God willing was a believer, we can have absolute certainty that they're in a place where they're in absolute joy, with no fear and no grief. Now, obviously, you know we're going to miss that individual, and you know we're going to uh, wish that we could have more time with them. But the difference is the belief that we think that we could have extended their life. You know, had we not told them to do X, they wouldn't, you know, they would have survived better. And not having to deal with that grief, not having to deal with that that constant, you know, uh, record of thinking that, oh, if only you know something else happened, they could have lived longer, is a huge blessing for the believer and a real curse for the disbeliever. And again, all it has to do is with that thought. And, you know, let's not get duped by Satan. Because Satan's most effective bait is this enticement of giving us thoughts to entertain that is going to be absolutely detrimental and destructive for our souls, our real person. So in 1422, it reads, Satan disowns his followers. It says, and the devil will say, after the judgment has been issued, God has promised you the truthful promise. And I promised you, but I broke my promise. I had no power over you. I simply invited you. And you accepted my invitation. Therefore, do not blame me and blame only yourselves. My complaining cannot help you, nor can your complaining help me. I've disbelieved in your idolizing me. The transgressors have incurred a painful retribution. So that's all the devil does, right? The devil does is basically instill a thought into a human being, but it's ultimately our choice. If we choose to accept that thought and water it and have it grow and produce bitter fruit, or choose to reject that thought, and instead accept the thought that God provided for us. And when we accept the God, the idea that God provided for us, you can guarantee that the outcome of any event is always going to be for our benefit. These are, uh, uh, obviously, I mean, so much more can be said about this, but God willing, we're going to stop there. If you got any comments or questions, hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.